All right, you can be opening up your Bibles to the book of Ruth. That's back there, way back in the Old Testament, right after Judges, and uh, we'll continue to study in there today. Uh, we'll have about a couple more uh, lessons in Ruth to finish out the quarter, and then we'll begin something else at the new quarter. Continuing with what we talked about last week, the book of Ruth is set during the time of the Judges, right? Uh, before we had a king, before King Saul, before King David came along. And we talked about how in the book of Judges, when you read the last few verses there, it talks about it was a time of great immorality. A time when men sought out whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. Instead of seeking out the will of God, right? So it's a troublesome time. But we can see in the Old Testament, especially during the, judge, the Judges period, how the Israelites, the people of God, the chosen folks of God, would you know, come into uh, a good favor with God, would, would become more faithful, and then after a while, they would fall away, right? They would tend to get back into the sinfulness, the immorality, the, uh, the, the seeking out things that seemed right in their own eyes. And then God would send judgment upon them. Someone would become, you know, take over. And whether it was from Moab, whether it was the Philistines, where it was some other country around them, or city-state, or whatever you call it, they would come in, enslave them perhaps. We talked about how King Eglon last week enslaved the Israelites for 18 years. They served him until God rose up Ehud, the judge, and he was able to go in and kill Eglon, and the Israelites were able to get out of that enslavement through that judge. And then they had a period where they were back faithful to God. So you see that roller coaster, that circle going on and on, right? And it's not much different than what we have today, right? You can see things in history now where this nation, where sex of, the, of America, sex of the world, were more faithful to God perhaps than they are at other times. Of course, it probably always seems like the time you're in is the worst time it's ever been, right? And, and maybe it is, I don't know. But then maybe not if you look at history. There's some, been some pretty, pretty immoral civilizations at times, right? Pretty nasty people at times. So we see that. We see that's kind of the period that's going on here. And on our previous study, we saw how Ruth was a Moabitess, and she came to be the daughter-in-law to Naomi, who was an Israelite. She was from Bethlehem, from Judah, right? And we talked about how that family, her husband, Limelech, and uh, Naomi moved to uh, Moab because of a famine that was going on. Perhaps a famine that was occurring because of the judgment of God, because of the Israelites' unfaithfulness. They go into Moab, and then uh, the two sons, Malon and Shilion, go into Moab as well. They're able to live there for a while, but then what happens? Death comes, right? Elimelech dies. The sons take on wives of Moab, which we talked about how that was probably not correct either. That was against the law of God. You know, he was, don't take wives from these other nations who can influence your faithfulness, influence your religion, make you fall away from the one true God. These sons married other women, and then they died as well. And then we see the story how Naomi, the mother, decides, well, God has, been, has dealt with me bitterly, right? She even talks about how she needs to change her name to Mara, meaning better rather than Naomi, meaning pleasant. And she decides to go back to Judah. It's time. And the, the two daughter-in-laws are with her, right? And they cry over. They, they're, they're upset. 
They know that she may leave them and they don't want that because they love her and they've been helping her. They've been taking care of her perhaps. They have grown to love their mother-in-law just as their own mother. Of course, Naomi tells them both, go back to your families. Go back to your mother. I cannot provide for you anymore. I cannot provide a son for you. I'm too old. I cannot bear a son for you even if I was to marry. I'm too old. You could not wait for him. So she says, go back to your families. I'm going back to Judah. And of course, Orpah does that, but Ruth decides to stay with her. Ruth says, I'm making a choice, a good choice, that I'm going to go where you go, be where you are. I'm going to be, I'm going to die where you would die, and I'm going to be buried where you were buried. I'm going to be with you till the end of time. And ultimately, by doing so, she's becoming a Israelite, a proselyte, you say, because she's a Moabitess. She is a stranger to Israel, but she's rejecting her, quote, God or gods to become a believer in the one true God. That's a good choice, isn't it? We talk about that all the time. We need to choose God, right? And here we have a Moabite woman in the Old Testament choosing the one true God, the actual real God, the actual creator of the universe. So we notice that noble choice that she makes she, to leave her home and the religion of Moab, the, the pagan idols that they had there, to adopt Naomi's home and her God as her own. We read that back in the first chapter. And it's noteworthy to say that this story is about the devotion that Ruth has toward her mother-in-law. We saw it in her noble choice, and now we're going to see it today when we read chapter 2 in her service, her lowly service. All right, let's, let's turn over to chapter 2 there in Ruth and read the, the next part of this story. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though, the, though she rested a little in the house. And then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, you will, not, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? since I am a foreigner. And Boaz answered and said to her, It's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you 
by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let, her, also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it, in, leave, it, leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And then she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, with, with his young women, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young men, women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. All right. So what do we have here? The story continues. We're not at the end of it yet, but we're getting there. It's getting more interesting, right? We now have a new character today. Who is he? Boaz. We meet the gentleman of the, that has the field. Has the field full of barley that needs to be harvested, right? Turns out this man is a relation to Elimelech, right? So Naomi actually knows about him, knows who he is, right? He's also a man of great wealth. Great wealth that he has these fields, that he's able to have enough fields to be harvested greatly and probably provide for a lot of folks, right? And Ruth gains permission to glean. She says, let me go into the field. I want to glean. I want to be at work. I want to be of service. I am an humble per a woman who's followed her mother-in-law into a strange land, and she says, now I need to be of service. And that's good, right? That's a good thing. She's decided that she wants to help her mother-in-law out. So what'd she do? She wants to glean. Well, what exactly is gleaning? That's not necessarily a word we hear a lot, right, about when it talks about labor and stuff. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 19, and let's just see some things said about gleaning. Leviticus 19. And uh, let's begin in verse 9. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Hmm. Interesting. So gleanings are kind of the leftovers or the stuff that falls in the field after they've reaped it, right? You know, I mean, when you're going through a field reaping, you're not going to get every little bit, right? 
some stuff's going to fall in the, on the ground or fall in the, in the, I don't know, in the thistles maybe. I don't know. Turn over to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Let's see what he says there. <laughs> or what is said by Moses. 24, uh, verse 19. He says, When you reap your harvest in, the, in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. All right. Here we have a way for the Lord to provide for those who are poor. For strangers, fatherless, widows. At the time, widows didn't have a way to take care of themselves, really, right? They had to have somebody take care of them. Remember? Deacons were assigned in the first century in the church to take care of the widows who were complaining because they were not being taken care of. This is something that God is now providing for. He's saying, when you go through your field, reap the harvest, leave some for the poor. That's a good thing. And remember why you are doing this. I took you out of Egypt. You were in slavery in Egypt. If it wasn't for what I did for you, you'd still be in Egypt, in other words. That's kind of what he's saying, right? So remember that. I took care of you. Now you take care of those who are in need. Interesting, right? But one thing I want to point out about it, he doesn't just say, give it all to them. They have to go out there and get it, don't they? So there's a little bit of something they got to do too, right? That's not just sitting back and saying, give me what I need. They got to go work a little bit. God's providing a way for the poor to be fed, for the poor to have something to eat. But they got to go and get it. They can't just sit back and wait for somebody to bring it to them. Turn over to Matthew 25. I want to read something there. When I say that, I don't mean that, that we, as Christians, shouldn't provide for folks, right? And you could probably say pretty much everybody in here is blessed, right? Could you say that, I don't, there's different levels of wealth in here. Of course there is. But have you ever been to a third world country? And I, I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I guarantee you, the poorest in this congregation is 10 times wealthier than a lot of people that live in Central America, or a lot of people that live in Africa, in other parts of the world. Not to make you feel bad, not to say you don't have needs, but that's very true. We are blessed. Out of that blessing, the Lord expects things, right? Just like he did the Israelites. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit in the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see, when, or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So the Lord provides. It's interesting to see how he does that, right? But as Christians, as servants in the kingdom, we are expected to do the same, right? We are to help provide for others. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and just give money to everybody in the world, you know. But we should be ready and willing to share of our blessings. And that's kind of the theme we're seeing today. That's kind of what we're going to see here. We have Boaz. He's got this field. We have Ruth, who has humbled herself enough to become a lowly servant to help take care of herself, of course, and her mother-in-law. And she gleans in the field. And we're reminded eight times in this book that she was a Moabitess. In other words, in Israel, she was a stranger. A stranger. She happens to come upon the field belonging to Boaz. And gleaning after the reapers, or as the law allowed, she happened to come to the field there. And the word suggests that it was by chance that she came to this field. Well... One of the themes we're just going to see from the book of Ruth is about God's providence, right? We talked last week about that noble choice she made to follow God. How did she do that? Well, by following Naomi. By following Naomi, she chose her God over all the others. Interesting concept, isn't it? Interesting that she became a faithful servant through her mother-in-law to the one true God. Therefore, was it by chance that she ends up in Boaz's field? Hmm. Well, interesting. He entreats the Lord's presence upon her, and then they bid the Lord's blessing upon... Um, he, so he entreats the Lord's presence upon his, his workers, and, and you can kind of see that Boaz is a good master, right? He has workers who respect him greatly. And he entreats the Lord's blessings on them. And in return, they entreat, they ask for the Lord's blessings on him. They understand he's a good master. He takes care of his workers. And there's another concept that we should remember, right? <clears throat> then he inquires about the strange woman he sees in the field. Who, the workers tell him that she's a Moabite woman. And that she's relative to Naomi and has requested the glean. And then she they also tell him that she's a really good worker. She's very diligent. Interesting, right? So what does Boaz do? Well, out of his duty, perhaps, for the law, he, he knows the law. He knows that he's to leave the gleanings of the harvest for the, those who come to the fields to glean. He encourages her to do that and continue to glean, but only in his field. To stay by his young women, workers, not gleaners, and to know 
that his young men had been commanded, don't even mess with her. She's not to be touched. And even on to talk, tell her that she can drink from the water that's drawn by the young men for the workers. Interesting. Ruth, of course, is humbled. She's humbled by this. She inquires, why is he showing her such favor? And it's because Boaz has heard of her devotion to Naomi. He's heard about that noble choice that she made. Perhaps he is um, being used by God to bless her because she has chosen to follow the one true God and reject all the idols. Could that be possible? It sounds like it could be. Boaz goes on to pray that the Lord will bless her in return for her seeking his refuge. So Ruth is comforted by his kindness, and she hopes to continue to find favor in his sight. And uh, even so, she wonders about it, right? How, why, am, why am I seeing this favor, the favor that you would bestow on your own maidservants, and I am not one? Yet, <coughs> Boaz is extending his kindness to a stranger. He's showing what it's like to be a faithful believer in God. Right? He's showing kindness to one who was created by that same God. He knows the law, but I think the point here is not even so much the law, it's his love. I think that is seen, right, by the words that are being used, by all the things he's doing. He's seeing love for another human being based on his faithfulness to the one true God. He's extending that kindness, invites her even to eat with the rest of the workers. Um, passing roasted grain over her, over to her to eat. <clears throat> All right. So he's saying, let her continue to glean in the field. Don't touch her. Don't hurt her. Let her continue to gather of the harvest, so much so that he even says what? Oh, I love this part. He even says, let a little bit extra fall on the ground for her. Right? Be a, little, be a little clumsy when you're gathering our harvest so she'll have a little extra over there that she can gather. He's taking care of her, right? He's showing favor to her. So, rather large amount is gathered by her. An ephah is around, I don't know, 30 to 50 pounds. Now, I got a question. How in the world is she, she carrying that all the way back to Bethlehem? I don't know. I guess she probably had some help. Boaz probably sent a couple guys with her and said, help her get that home. Doesn't say that. But she's able to glean more than she could need, right? Much more than she needed because of the graciousness and the love that Boaz is showing toward her. And so what does she do with that? She takes that home. She takes the extra uh, harvest, of the, the barley, the, the grain, and she shows it to Naomi. And does she say, Naomi, this is mine. You can't have any. No. She says, here is what I have been able to glean. This is the extra. Naomi's just blown away, right? Like, how in the world did you get all this? <clears throat> and she rejoices over God's kindness. Now, remember last week when we read chapter one? What was Naomi's attitude there? Well, let's go back and read it just for a second. Turn back to chapter one, and beginning in verse 20, she says, but she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mar, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? She was pretty well in the dumps, right? She felt like God had deserted her. She went out of Israel, went to Moab with her husband, with her family. Probably did that out of her duty as a wife and a mother, right? But because of perhaps the unfaithfulness that they showed by doing that, she felt like she was being judged for it. She returns. And by the way, isn't that kind of a little uh, forerunner to how we are as Christians? There's always room to return. Of course, you got the prodigal son, right? I mean, that kind of lays it out for you. But this is kind of similar, right? We don't read that directly, but you can see that in there. That Elimelech and his family left Israel because of the famine, seeking for greener pastures instead of relying on God for their sustenance. Leave, go to Moab, things happen. She finally realizes, I got to go back. I got to get back to Judah. Doesn't say it in so many words, but in a sense, Naomi has said, I backslid, and I got to get back into a relationship with God. Kind of what we're doing here. Kind of what we're seeing. Now, by Ruth coming back with her, making that same choice, she's able to glean enough grain, take care of herself, and plenty more to take care of her mother-in-law. And now her mother-in-law rejoices. She's back in a relationship with God because of what she decided to do and because of what Ruth is doing through her. I mean, you can imagine, as Ruth was in her household, she learned about the Lord, right? She was probably taught by Naomi about the things of the law, about the Israelite, the history, the God that they serve. So all that's now coming back, and they're being blessed by God through Boaz. So you have a contrast there, chapter 1. She's very down in the dumps. Now she's rejoicing. She's returned. God is showing Ruth favor through Ruth. Naomi's being blessed. And things are looking pretty good now. Why? Well, they decided to take God up on his promises. They decided to allow their faith to become more robust. They decided that there's really no other way to live, right? Except in a relationship with the Father. Ruth tells Boaz, uh, Ruth tells Boaz instructions, um, well, actually, she's told to continue to glean among his workers. Naomi encourages her to stay with him, to stay with Boaz, to stay with the women laborers. In fact, Boaz goes on to say, now, even though you're a stranger, even though you're a Moabitess, you can now come in with our workers and go into the field and gather. He's telling her, He's, he's, he's kind of like he's employing her, I guess you could say, right? He's telling her to come on, stay in my field. You now are a worker here, and you can take part. Which she does until the end of the harvest while living with Naomi. One thing to note there, though, at the end of the chapter, right? Naomi knows about Boaz. And there is this thing about an Israelite man who is in relation to Another Israelite man, and when that Israelite man dies, 
He has an obligation to the widows there. Naomi knows about that. Ruth apparently doesn't necessarily know that. She might not. She doesn't mention it. But Naomi goes on to say, what? What was it? Um, Naomi said to Ruth, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close. Actually, one before that. Ruth, uh, Naomi said to her daughter, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. She's talking about that obligation. He's not forsaking that obligation. Apparently some would do that. Apparently some didn't leave the grain in the, of the corners of their field. Didn't leave the grain for the stranger or the widow or the fatherless. She's praising God. She realizes she's being blessed because Ruth has gone into Boaz's field. Boaz is honoring his obligation to the law and to the Lord. Lots of lessons we can learn there, right? Lots of things we can glean from this chapter, right? But ultimately, I think the point that we're getting to is faithfulness in God provides great blessings. And we just came out of a study of Ephesians where Paul was talking about what? In that first one or, uh, two or three chapters there. What was he talking about? The great blessings we have in Christ. Right? The rich blessings. Not talking about you're going to be wealthy. Not talking about you're going to have perfect health just because you're in Christ. But the promises that we can stand on. The promises that we have of eternal life. An abundant life while here on earth. Those are things that we're talking about. Being blessed. In our lives, you've had, I'm sure, moments when you said, wow, something just happened to me and I don't have any idea why. And I bet a lot of you probably said, I think God had something to do with that. But you didn't really know for sure, right? Because God didn't just come down and say, I'm giving you a car! Like they do on Price is Right or whatever. You don't know that for sure, but you are blessed. And there's probably some times in your life when you go back and say, that had to be providence. The healing of a loved one, perhaps, perhaps yourself. Maybe some doctor said, I don't know what happened, but that cancer's gone. Or that shouldn't have worked out the way, but something happened there. We can't explain it. There's a a lot of strength in Christ through prayer, through brethren helping you out, right? We are blessed in that way too. There's so many blessings in Christ. And that's part of the theme that Ruth has. We are blessed. We can be blessed by our faithfulness to Christ. <clears throat> so in this chapter, we've seen two noteworthy examples of, of righteous character, right? Ruth's humility and her willingness to minister to her mother-in-law. Through that, God is providing for her and providing for her mother-in-law. She's humbled herself. She said, I'm going to follow Naomi, and through that I'm going to follow God. I'm rejecting all other gods. I'm going to follow and be faithful to the true God. We also see Boaz's kindness and his sense of propriety, his sense of obligation to the law, and the way he treats Ruth and ultimately 
treats Naomi, who is a relative by marriage as well. Interesting how we have two folks here who are going to bless Naomi through other folks. Or how, how, how God is going to bless Naomi through other folks because of her decision to come back. So therefore we see Naomi's faith in God uh, is reassured. Even though she believed that because of her earlier life where they're leaving Israel, she had been dealt with harshly by God, she's now convinced that God has not forsaken her. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that everything in your life was just going to pot? Yeah. There's probably been some times like that. Um, and sometimes it's all we got is to be able to pray to the Father, right? That's all we got. And then, seems like things got better, right? Seems like eventually, then you got through that period or whatever it is, things got better. And I'm not saying every little thing that happens in your life is, is because God made it happen. But as faithful Christians, we have that providence. And I've said it many times here, but I cannot imagine going through life without it. We've talked about that many times, how the world sees no God, how the world sees just this is it, which makes no sense to me. And they just go on, I guess, staying busy or whatever, so they don't have to think about it. But when you sit down and think about it, how in the world could you go through this life with all the problems that you have without the providence of God in it? I don't know how to get through it. Do you? That's kind of what we're talking about here. Naomi and Ruth humbled themselves, went back to Israel, decided to get back faithful to God, serve Him, humble themselves. She's not serving, you know, as a, uh, like we would think about as a Christian service, but she's serving. She's humbled herself. Serving and she ends up in Boaz's field. She's serving her mother-in-law, right? Those are wonderful things to think about. Before we close, let's turn over to 1 Peter. I want to read a passage. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now those three verses pretty much sum it up, right? Cast everything you have on God. And he'll care for you. Doesn't mean you're going to have happy times for the rest of your life. But you will have, as we read about at the end of the book of John, that abundant life. That life on earth that God intended for you to have. He created you. And by the way, he created you male and female. So you have a pronoun when you're born. Just saying. 
By the way, I, I got to digress a minute. Did y'all see that story this morning on, uh, about the, the middle school in Wisconsin where mother got a call from the principal saying they were going to discipline their son because he wouldn't call somebody they, and they were calling it sexual harassment for a middle schooler. <laughs> I'm just sorry. I had to digress for a minute. But that's what we've come to in this world. Just silliness, just flat-out silliness, right? Because the world doesn't believe. That's the only reason. Nah, I've got to get off my soapbox. But the point being, God wants you to believe. God wants to take care of you. He wants that. He wants you to pray to him unceasingly, constantly. And when you lower yourself, when you own yourself to serve, to serve him, to serve your fellow brethren, to serve mankind, he will bless you. You will be blessed. <clears throat> why else would you, why would you want to live any other way? Makes no sense to me. All right, time is up.